All right. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Genesis chapter 35. We're going um, to cover a chapter and a half tonight. That's a lot, you know, because last week was only 15 verses, and it was like 35 minutes. So I think we should at least have like 70 to 90 minutes. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are nodding your head. Some of you are walking out. Okay. Um, has anybody ever seen uh, drive through history? Nobody's ever heard of that? Yeah, a, a few homeschool moms. Yes. drive through history is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a homeschool mom, but if I was, I would use it. Um, drive through history with Dave Stotts. Highly recommend it. Go look it up. You can YouTube it. Um, but uh, he does a phenomenal job of teaching through um, tons of history, not only uh, uh, Christian history, but just generally, why, why do we have St. Patty's Day? What, what's the history of that? Where did, where did that come from? How did it start? Things like that. Um, and so Dave does a phenomenal job of walking through things like that. He's really humorous. Um, I thought about that and, and how we should start this message because we're going to be looking at a lot of maps because we need to understand the context of where Jacob has been. What is, where is his family at now? And so um, I'm not Dave Stotts, but we're going to look at some maps. Hopefully these maps work. Um, and we're going to see uh, the, the journey that Jacob took started down here. And he left by himself to go all the way up to Haran, which is up here. All right. And so that was a long, a long journey. He was up here for about 20 years. Okay, and he marries some wives, has a bunch of kids, and then he's like, it's time to go home. So he leaves Haran without telling Laban, right? And he travels down here. So um, when he gets about right here, uh, Laban catches up to him, right? And, and he's like, dude, you left. And then there we go. Um, and so uh, the Lord tells Laban, let him go. Then he continues south. All right, and, and so we remember uh, that he wrestles God. Remember that? Genesis 33. Um, and then Esau had came up here to meet him, and we saw the reconciliation of Esau and Jacob, brothers being reconciled, right? And then Esau bounced. Jacob was like, I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to go to the west a little bit towards Succoth, and then he's going to cross the river over to Shechem. And then some dicey things happened with Dinah and Shechem. His sons made some poor choices, and they're going to leave that area and head south. God gives him a second chance, if you remember from, uh, from last week. And so there was Genesis 33 here, I think. Um, and then Genesis 34 and 35 happen along this road right here. So Jacob's going to, here we go, Jacob's going to take this journey to Bethel, Right, and this is where we are right now. Okay, and so he's he's ultimately trying to get to Hebron, which is down here where his father is. All right, Isaac, and so this is where we are right now. So all of what we're going to be talking about is occurring right here at Bethel, to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, to Hebron, uh, and then we're going to see a bunch of life. We're going to see a bunch of death. We're going to see a bunch of sin, and we're going to see a lot of descendants tonight in our passage. If you remember from last week, um, we covered the first 15 verses of chapter 35, and as I was reflecting on that, um, 
again this week and, and, and continuing on and to finish up, to wrap up the chapter, I thought of a song that was really old. Um, and it was really old for me, anyway. But um, maybe some of you have heard it. We could do a little sing-along. I'm not going to sing it for you, but maybe you've heard it. It's called Give Us Clean Hands. Anybody ever heard that song? Yeah, a few of you, right? It starts like, we bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Lord, make us humble. Right? We turn our eyes from evil things. We cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our soul to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our soul to another. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face. What? Oh God of Jacob. And like, I, I hadn't sung that song in tw over 20 years. And the Lord brought that song to my mind this week as I was studying this passage. And I was like, how perfect is that song for this passage? Right? Like, that's what we need to do. That's what kind of what God, like, through Jacob, repentance is teaching his family, right, to not bow their knee to idols, right, but, but, to, but to get rid of those idols. If you remember, like, put those foreign gods away from you and, and then cleanse yourselves. Like, God, cleanse us. We need you to cleanse us. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. We can wash our hands. We can take a shower, but we can't cleanse our own hearts apart from you, Jesus, right? And so we, we learned that in the gospel last week, we saw the grace of God, how the grace of God has appeared through Christ, how the grace of God was showered Jacob, right? And, and, and so we see that tonight, we remember that the repentance that Jacob led his family through led to worship, right? Worship of, of Yahweh, and they had undivided hearts in Bethel. They were worshiping the Lord with undivided hearts, and we saw that God reminded Jacob yet again of the covenant blessings, that he had promised to Abraham, his grandpa, and then he promised to Isaac, and then he promised to Jacob yet again. And so we're going to close out 35, and we're going to go through 36. We're going to do super high level, okay? We're in an airplane. We're going to be traveling really fast at a very high level, all right? And so um, the themes, the major themes that you're going to see is, is life. We're going to see new life. We're going to see a lot of death, okay? We're going to see the residuals of sin. We're going to see some fresh sin, but we're going to see residuals of sin. And we're going to see a ton of descendants, all right? And so um, the effects of the past have consequences for the, for the current, for the present, right? The effects of sin are very evident, right? And, and Jacob and his family still live in a fallen world, that's what we're going to see as soon as we start the reading in verse 16. But let's pray before we read God's word together. Almighty God, we do ask for you right now to search our hearts, to know us on the inside and out. We ask for you to satisfy our hearts with just one word from your mouth. We ask for you to, to teach us because we need for you to teach us tonight. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to see what we cannot see in your word without you giving us insight. We ask for you to unite our hearts, to fear you, to love you, to know you, to worship you and you alone. 
so we might live out this amazing gospel of grace that you have given to us and share it with others in our sphere of influence. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis 35, starting in verse 16. This is God's word. It says, And then they journeyed from Bethel, when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, and Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. So they leave Bethel. They're traveling south towards Hebron, where Jacob's father is living. Now, if you've ever had the privilege and the honor of being present when a woman is giving birth, you know how absolutely amazing and fascinating that is, right? Um, Probably traumatizing for some. Um, I would say for Rachel, it was extremely traumatizing because they were traveling. And what do doctors today tell women who are about to give birth? Make sure that you're not traveling near your due date, right? Because that's a really big deal. You don't want to be caught on a plane or like on a bus when you're about to have a baby. And so they're traveling on the road, and this is, a, this is a big deal. It's really difficult. But I would imagine, like, I mean, after, after being present for my two sons' births, I understood in a clearer way why women would die in childbirth back in the day, right? It's a very serious thing. It's, it's, it's traumatic, and, and clearly, in this passage, Rachel's having a really hard time. She's having very long and very arduous birthing process. Now, I don't know if Rachel had a birthing plan, but her midwife is trying to encourage her, okay? She's, she's like, I see you're having a hard time. Let me encourage you. You have another son. It's a boy. You're having another son. And Rachel is not very encouraged because it says her soul started to depart, which means that she's dying, right? And, and her first son is Joseph, her second son is, she wants to name him Ben-Oni. Has anybody ever had a discrepancy about naming children? I mean, it's a big deal to name an animal in your house, but if you try to name a, a kid, that's a whole other level, right? I wanted to name our firstborn son, me and Allie had a, you know, a talk about this. I wanted to name our firstborn son Tucker, but she didn't want to do that. And I don't know why. I mean, his name, because I thought Tucker was a cool name, but my last name's Tucker, so Tucker Tucker would, I thought it would, I thought it'd be funny, but um, she didn't want to name him Tucker, so, so, but he, he would have easily remembered it, I mean, you know, either way. Um, Ben-Oni means son of my sorrow, right, and, and Jacob was like, nah, I don't want to remember my son, because I'd remember my wife's death every time that I called his name. Every time that I looked at him, I'd remember that my beloved wife has passed away. So let's call him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand, or southerner. That's another translation for it. So you could say that that old Benji was the first southerner born in Israel. He was the, the only son 
born in the promised land to Jacob. And, and so does that mean that the south is the promised land? I don't know. But <laughs> Jacob set up a pillar over Rachel's tomb. This is the love of Jacob's life has passed away. Ironically, she died in childbirth when she had told Jacob back in chapter 30, give me children or I'll die. And so she did. Jacob wanted his last son to be a reminder, not of Rachel's sorrow, not of Rachel's death, but he wanted his son to be a reminder that God was faithful and had brought them back to the promised land. He brought them back south because he went up north. And so he said, I want, I want my son's name to be Benjamin rather than Benoni. And so I, I was, when it says that she, he, he put this, this stuff over Rachel's tomb, it made me think that um, this week I was walking down the road. I was walking down Fairview Road. Maybe some of you know where Fairview is. I was walking through Fairview, and I don't know if you've ever like realize when you walk on roads, you notice a lot more things than when you drive on roads. You're going slower. And, and so like I'm walking on Fairview Road and I notice that there's this massive cemetery like on this hill. And, and like I stopped and I had one of those like solemn moments where I was like, that's where I'm headed. Like right there. Do you know, you, you, have y'all seen a cemetery where you see like um, all, a bunch of tombstones with all the same name on them? Those are family burial plots, right? Like, like what, a, what a, a sober reminder that we will all end up there one day. Like, like that's where we're all heading, right? And, and so Jacob is experiencing great loss. He's experiencing great loss, and there's only more to come for him. This is, this is only the beginning of the loss in his family, and we have only read six verses. We're six verses in. We've seen new birth, we've seen death, and we've seen burial. And Jacob's family keeps traveling because once somebody dies, you can't just, your life doesn't end. You keep, you keep moving. He moves on, right? And so he keeps traveling south, and he sets up shop beyond the Tower of Eder. So this is somewhere between Bethel and Hebron. So this next verse, verse 22, it seems extremely weird and out of place. I'll give, I'll give it that, right? While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Super strange, very odd what's going on here, right? Reuben is Jacob's firstborn son, okay? And he's trying to usurp Jacob's authority and take the inheritance from his father prior to Jacob's death. Because once your, a, a father died, the concubines would then be, belong to the firstborn son. And so he's doing this before Jacob's even dead. This is a disgraceful and rebellious act. And it would cost Reuben dearly. Because of this act, Reuben is denied his inheritance. We know that because of Genesis 49. In Genesis 49, it says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. So this is something that Jacob would not, rem would not forget for the rest of his days. He would remember this. 
right? And, and so we see the consequences of sin. We see the re- residuals of sin, if you will, because Jacob had lived in such a way that his, his children were observing his life, right? And Reuben, being Jacob's firstborn, had seen how his father had lived. He'd seen the character of his father. He'd seen the lifestyle of his father. And, and so he's kind of following in his footsteps, and it doesn't work out well for him. It's a reminder for us, or at least it was for me, that, like, our kids are watching how we live, right? Like, like we need to keep our eyes on Jesus because we've got a lot of little eyes on us. And even if you don't have kids, people are watching how you live. So that's why we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's another reminder that the decisions we make as parents have far-reaching consequences. Even decades later, we see clearly that this is displayed in this passage. In verse 23, we see the, the full products, if you will, of God's blessing. The full fruits of God's blessing on Jacob's life. These are the 12 sons of Jacob. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paramaram. So this is Jacob's roster, right? All 12 of his sons. At our previous church, um, there was a family, uh, they were called the Branscombs. They had six boys. And I used to make fun and be like, y'all, y'all have a basketball team. You have a starting lineup of a basketball team. But it wasn't until we moved to Red Oak and I met the Bradleys and I realized that that really wasn't anything, right? Because they have like a starting lineup with like reserves, if you will, almost a football team. But they're leaving a legacy, right? And, and here, Jacob has a legacy. This is God's faithfulness to him, the provision of 12 sons, which we know would be the 12 tribes of Israel. And by God including the list of Jacob's 12 sons, we are reminded that God's blessing continues despite sin and despite death. His blessing can't be stopped. His word will come to fruition. So God's plan is unstoppable. God's plan is unstoppable. It was unstoppable in Jacob's life. It's unstoppable in your life as well. So the 12 tribes of Israel would come from Jacob's sons. Ultimately, we know that the promised seed of the woman that we've been tracing through, throughout Genesis, all the way from Genesis 3 to right now, is coming through the line of Judah, one of Jacob's sons. But that wouldn't be for many, many more generations. And this is not, this chapter and next chapter is not, uh, oh, Jacob and his family lived happily ever after chapter. That's not how it rolls, as we'll see in chapter 37 and the rest of Genesis when we look at the story of Joseph. There would be much more animosity between Jacob's sons as we're gonna see it play out. So you could say this is a very dysfunctional family. Raise your hand if you live in a very dysfunctional family. Nobody's going to do it. Okay. So I got somebody to do that. That's cool. I admit it. I grew up in a dysfunctional family, you know. Everybody has some type of dysfunction in their family. Everybody, right? This is a very dysfunctional family, okay? As we've already seen reading through the last two, just the last two chapters, right? We're going to see even more death before we close out this chapter. Look at verse 27. Jacob came to his father, Isaac, at Mamre. 
or Kiriath Arba. That is Hebron. So he, y'all, he made it back. He made it back. After all these years, after all these chapters, right, he's all the way back. God brought him back faithfully where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died. It was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. So remember Jacob and Esau? Remember their beautiful reconciliation that we read about? Right? They, they now came back, reunited to bury their father with his father. Right? And so the Jacob story ends here. This is the end of the Toledot section for Isaac, which was mainly about Jacob anyway. Uh, Isaac dies which is another reminder for us of the residual of sin, that the curse is still upon us. It was still upon them, it's on us today. Ultimately, we know that every person in this chapter will breathe their last. We've already seen two, right? We will also breathe our last. I know it's weird. We usually don't think about breathing. You just kind of do it. Nobody's like, you don't wake up and you're like, hey, breathe today, you know? You don't think about breathing unless you can't breathe, which when you're underwater or somebody's tickling you to death, right, and you just can't breathe. You don't really think about it. But one day, we will stop breathing. Every single one of us, we will breathe our last, and we will die, right? And, and, and probably with a room this size, with this many people, I, I would be willing to imagine that most everybody has been to a funeral in the room. Right? And, and I've been to a ton of funerals in my life. Even before I, I got into ministry and, and was pastoring, like I, a lot of people died in my family. And so I, I was in funerals at a young age. And funerals are, they're a reminder for us. Right? A sober reminder, yet a reminder for us to live with urgency. Life's short. Right? Like, like they're a reminder of the brevity of life and that we need to live making every day count. Right? We need to, to live with some urgency, with some renewed vigor. We need to, to love deeper, more passionately. We need to live for God's glory every single day. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know if tonight you're going to breathe your last. We don't know. You never know. So we need to live exalting the name of Jesus every day, every moment. Live advancing his kingdom every day. So 35 comes to an end. We're going to jump into 36. Don't worry. I'm not going to read all of 36. 36 is all of Esau's descendants. Right? This is the genealogy of all of Esau's sons and their sons and their sons. Right? And so we see the completion of Jacob's family. This is the completion, the drawing to a close of a generation. Right? And, and we read of more generations in chapter 36. We know Jacob, a lot of people know Jacob had 12 sons. Not a lot of people know Esau also had 12 sons, right? You see those listed in 36 verses 9 through 14. Esau was not the son of promise, but still a son of Isaac. So he still is clearly blessed, right? The descendants of Esau tell the Israelite audience hearing Genesis for the very first time about their current desert neighbors. Can you imagine hearing this? read for the first time in the context of understanding of when Israel's hearing this, the nation of Israel's hearing this, and they're like, oh, these are people who live right to the south of us, 
right now, right to the west of us, right, right across the Dead Sea. This is, this is huge for them. Now, some of you might be wondering, why in the world did God include Genesis 36 in the Bible? Esau wasn't the child of promise. He wasn't the bearer of the covenant of blessing. So why include an entire chapter with all of Esau's descendants? Well, in reference to why God dedicated an entire chapter to Esau's family in the Bible, this commentary I thought was, was too good not to share. These verses that delineate the family and eventually influence of Esau tangibly demonstrate that God is interested in impacting nations other than Israel. God intends to bring salvation to the nations. He mentioned it in Genesis 12, 3, 26, 4, 28, 14, and 35, 11. The verses in chapter 36 prove and they pave the way for us to understand God's demands for Israel to treat the Edomites properly in later centuries. So Jacob's name was Israel. Esau's name was Edom, right? We know that God gave Moses instructions for how the Israelites, those are Jacob's descendants, how were they to act around the Edomites? These are Esau's descendants. In Deuteronomy 2, this is what God told his people. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. And many days we traveled around Mount Seir. And then the Lord said to me, you've been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward and command the people. You are about to pass through the territory of who? Your brothers, the people of Esau who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not contend with them. Don't fight them. Clear instructions, for I will not give you any of their land, no, not so much as for the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall purchase food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. What do we see again? The faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. The Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Everything that you've needed, I've provided for you. This is what the Lord says. And so we went on, away from our brothers, the people of Esau who live in Seir, away from the Arabah road, from Eliath and Ezion Geber. And later in Deuteronomy 23, 7, it says, you shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. Don't hate your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian because you are a sojourner in his land. Clear instructions from God's word. So we could sum up the end of 35 and, and chapter 36 by saying that the major themes that we've already seen are life, death, the residuals of sin, and a bunch of descendants, right? Jacob, Israel, Esau, Edom, both had descendants that would affect the rest of the world. Now, how do we know that? Pastor Kent Hughes says this, tragically, Esau's descendants would become inveterate enemies of Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, we read of tension and fighting between Israel and the Edomites. And finally, the tragic poetry of redemptive history is this. It was an Edomite king, Herod the Great, remember him? Who exterminated the babies of Jerusalem in an attempt to kill who? Jesus, the King of Kings. You can read about that in Matthew 2. The ultimate sons of Esau and Jacob. The ultimate son of Esau was Herod the Great. The ultimate son of Jacob, Christ the King. This testifies to the significance of the path that we take up today. 
The decisions we make today, how we live, has far-reaching consequences beyond what we can see today. God wants us to realize, by including Genesis 36 in his word, that the gospel is for all nations, it's for all tribes, it's for all tongues, it's for all peoples. Today, we see a tangible example of this. In just the past few weeks, we've gotten word from the Ellises in India that Muslims are coming to Christ and being baptized. They're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're being baptized. And then just a few days ago, we got an email from the Roberts, James and Jenna, who we just commissioned a few weeks ago. Remember them? They sent us an email and they said, we've had almost 200 people in Togo, West Africa, profess faith in Christ just in the last few weeks. 200? That's crazy. In Togo, West Africa, in India, all around the world, right? God is on the move. He's building his church. He's advancing his kingdom because the gospel is gonna be spread to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, home base, wherever that is for you. Andrews, Topton, Robbinsville, Bryson City, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts 2, you remember Pentecost? And they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Iliamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, and we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all who were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked saying they are filled with new wine. Jacob and Esau's descendants would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because nothing can stop God's sovereign plan. Nothing can stop God's sovereign plan for his gospel to be spread to all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all peoples. Jacob's sin, nor his dysfunctional family, could prevent God's grace from accomplishing his perfect plan for his glory. That means your sin, nor your dysfunctional family, could stop God's grace from accomplishing his perfect plan in your life. Through life, death, sin, and descendants, we see God's sovereign purpose prevail. He is building his church, one heart, one family, one people, one nation at a time. Because the Spirit of God accomplishes the mission of God through the people of God with the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation, for everyone who would believe. So do you understand the gospel? Do you understand the gospel? Do you agree with the gospel? 
And do you trust the gospel? And if you do, are you preaching the gospel to yourself every day? And are you sharing it with others along the way? May we travel from one generation to another. May the gospel travel in and through my life, through my family, through my kids, and my descendants to their descendants, because that's how the gospel spreads, through your descendants. It came to you because it was traveling, and it needs to go from you to others. May one generation hear it to another, so that their knees would bow, their tongues would confess, so that their, their eyes would turn from evil things and evil ways, so they would cast down their idols, and so that every generation would sing to the God of Jacob. Is the God of Jacob your God? Do you know the gospel? If you don't know the gospel, if you don't trust the gospel, then talk to somebody tonight before you leave. Because that's the greatest news you could ever hear in your entire life. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for being faithful, for being a God that we can trust. Everything that you say comes to pass. Your word is true. You are faithful and true. And I pray that we would be a people who don't live frivolously, that we don't live with a short-sighted perspective on life, that we would not take for granted every breath that we breathe is a gift from you. I pray, oh God, that we would be diligent. If you have opened up our eyes to the beauty of this gospel of grace, that we would be diligent to share it with those in our sphere of influence, that we would share it with our spouses, that we would share it with our kids, that we would share it with everyone in our community, and that we would rejoice and trust knowing that you are faithful, that you are building your church, that all of your promises come true in Jesus. I pray that we would trust you, that we would love you, we would know you, and that we would follow you for all of our days. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.